Welcome to episode 9 of AU Manufacturing Conversations with Brent Polinski. In this episode, we speak to Dr. Jens Gurneman, Managing Director of the Advanced Manufacturing Growth Centre. Jens tells us about Australia's slide downwards in the latest Economic Complexity Index rankings compiled by Harvard University's Growth Lab. Economic complexity looks at the sophistication and diversity of a country's exported goods and requires a country to have built up a large store of productive knowledge to rank highly. An analogy is the letters in your rack in Scrabble. A good diversity of tiles means you can make higher scoring words, but being lumped with a bunch of the same ones will limit you. Australia's Scrabble rack looks pretty poorly right now, sees us ranked between Kenya and Namibia, and highlights our dependence on digging and shipping raw materials without adding much value to them. Jens tells us about why we can't coast on our good luck with resources forever, why manufacturing is the answer, and a few other things. Full disclosure, I'm a contract copywriter for the AMGC. Thanks for downloading this episode. If you enjoy the conversation, please subscribe, leave a review via the podcast platform of your choice, and help us spread the word. Good afternoon, Jens, and welcome to AU Manufacturing Conversations. Thank you for having me. Top of the list of questions, as always, is a small request that you introduce yourself a little to the audience. Please describe your personal story and your current work. Well, I am, by accent, you can uh, you can place it. I was not born in Australia. I was came, coming out in 2008 from uh, my mother company, Airbus. I was running Airbus uh, Australia Pacific in New Zealand for, for eight years. And after 20 years in total with Airbus, putting it to my wife, let's go back to Europe. She said, uh, you have fun with that. So she's from Queensland and uh, we compromised on the middle and now we live in Sydney. I'm the inaugural managing director of the Advanced Manufacturing Growth Center. And that growth center's purpose is to transform Australian manufacturing and make it more competitive. We're talking now because of the news recently about Australia's further fall in the economic complexity rankings. Why is this something that people should care about? And what's the problem with us being placed somewhere between Kenya and Namibia? Excuse me, not a word I say very often. It's the problem with us being placed between those two countries if our per capita income is pretty healthy by global standards. The Economic Complexity Index measures the ability, the capability of an entire country to make complex things. And if we are unable or declining in our capability to do that, we're giving a lot of opportunity. You're right, we have a healthy per capita income, but this is why we are labeled for over half a century as a lucky country, because it's very much commodity-based to which we do not add any value, which we do not make any complex things with it. And it's um, easy to forecast that at least part of these commodities will not find a market, especially not the fossil-based commodities. Hence, now is the time to have a really critical look at why is our ranking so low and what are we going to do about it? Tell me, what can we learn from countries with a higher economic complexity than our own? Let's look at some of the top ones, perhaps Japan, South Korea and Germany, if you want to pick one of them or all of them. What's worth copying? The common denominator with these countries is that their economy is not built on commodity extraction. Um, they are not blessed by the, 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 the richness of what we have sitting under our feet. These are countries which are industrial, very, very capable. And in case of Germany, Germany ran out of commodities decades ago. So there's no other choice than mm. making complex things. And what we can learn from these countries is they are not known as low cost or low wage paying countries. The opposite is the case. 
it tells us if we want to be better in what we're doing in regard to making complex things in order to be a manufacturing powerhouse like they are, we need to be better, not cheaper. We need to be globally competitive. And we also need to understand that we are a small country, so we need to focus because if we do everything a little bit, we will achieve nothing. Focusing on the areas we are good at or what we want to be good at is probably a good starting point. You mentioned they not low-cost nations. Australia obviously is an expensive place to do business, and only option in light of that is to make ourselves more complex. It's true, and we also are well advised if we start by really understanding what manufacturing is. And there's a big misunderstanding. We have a manufacturing value chain, we call it the smiley curve, and there are seven steps in the smiley curve, and the production is only one of them. Unfortunately, the least value-adding part in that manufacturing value chain. So putting things together is usually not something where a high-cost country be very successful. Other countries can do that much better. But we need to focus on the things which happen before production, like research and development, design, logistics, or what happens after, distribution, sales, and services. These are the higher value-adding jobs. These are the jobs which are already more diverse. Hence, these are the areas where we need to focus on. Uh, look at a complex economy, uh, Germany's Mittelstand, which you'd be hugely familiar with, of course. You wrote recently in an essay that that Mittelstand is no accident and planned and supported by industry policy and programs, and those have been backed with a long-term vision. What can be said about our short-termism in, in opposition to that, and how can it be addressed, and what can we learn from the German example? First of all, and having a heavy accent <laughs> on that country, I do not recommend or advise to copy something. Okay. Australia always needs to find, like every other country, we always need to find our way. Some patterns need to be studied, and uh, the pattern which I would advocate independent of my, where I'm coming from, or what accent I, I still possess, <laughs> is that the industry structure and the uh, company size we have in, in, in Germany and Australia are very, very different. 47,000 manufacturers and something around 90% employ less than 20 people. So there's a lot of opportunity for highly skilled companies, less than 20 people. They export in some of them in, into 80 countries, but what they lack is scale. So we need to help them to scale so that we have something in the middle, what we call the medium-sized company, the middle stand, the job engine of, for example, economies like Germany, but there are others as well. And that is something where we have a deficiency in our industry structure. The second point is need of an industry policy. Every successful industry nation who is globally competitive have an industry policy which is reasonably good and more so important is that they stick to it for years, if not decades. So these are two ingredients which I would say that does every country well, uh, including Australia. And we have the wealth to do that. It's just a bit discomforting to go from uh, digging and shipping. And uh, like, I do not want to downplay the enormous complexity it takes to get all the commodities out of the ground. We are a global powerhouse on that, but then we don't do enough with it. And that is what I think we can better. Indeed. Uh, we're not here to bash mining, of course. And a, as one of the criticisms of the, the index is that it doesn't take into account the sophistication within the mining sector. And I, I mean, that's obviously a story for another day, but, but long story short, we're not here to bash mining. Well, no, we don't. And uh, we give a lot of credit. And uh, giving credit is also that a lot of mining operations are done autonomously, remotely, and that got us a reputation and a seat at the table of one of our six national manufacturing priorities, and that is space. 
the mode of operations are certainly a strong suit and this coming from mining and the mining industry has brought us that. The mining industry has brought us the wealth. Yeah. They do amazing things. In regard to jobs generation, we have, however, 3.5 times more people working in manufacturing than mining. And uh, every job in manufacturing creates then again three and a half jobs in adjacent industries. So we are well advised not to put all our luck into mining. And as we say, manufacturing is the capability to transform a lucky country into a smart country. Last week, you challenged the view of Professor Michael uh, Beerchuk. Beersick. I'm not sure of the pronunciation, but let's go with Beerchuk. He's a pretty well-known quantum physics researcher. You were on a panel with him, founder of Quantum Control. You had a, a, you know, challenged his view regarding the commercialization of research and what needs to be done. Do you stand by the comment, you know, it appeared to anger him, that research excellence behind university doors doesn't service in any way, or would you perhaps phrase it differently? First of all, what Michael and I have in common is a very hard to pronounce last name. So, uh, and uh, it was at the end of a discussion in which we didn't have the time to clarify any potential misunderstandings. Maybe it is a mixture of misunderstanding, assumption, or a combination of all of them. What I said is and uh, that research excellence behind university doesn't serve us in any way. If it always stays there and stays there forever, then uh, we're doing also these researchers a very much a disservice because that research, if you don't have the instrument, the ecosystem to bring that research, when it's successful to the rest of the world, to the society who in many cases pays for that research, we're doing the society a disservice and we're doing the research a disservice. Any other assumptions which have been made after um, that short conversation, which has never been finished, like saying, you know, you need to redeem yourself in your lifetime is uh, not what I've said and uh, not what I've meant. The, uh, the thing is, we, we measure innovation and invention is only one part, so, uh, the innovation in the readiness of technology, nine technology readiness level. That's a concept from the NASA uh, from the early 70s, and to use another analogy, technology readiness level one would be, oh, somebody should fly to the moon. Maybe take a woman next time along. Mm. Um, level nine is Apollo 11 coming back successfully, and everything in between is the technology readiness level. And what I'm concerned about in Australia, we have $12 billion for research and development to spend in this country. That's the cake we have. And if we spend 60% of that, as we do, in technology levels level number two, then there is not much left to spend to bring that research all the way through that, including the researchers and also society can benefit from that. So that's my point. We have three options. Leave it as it is and be strong in research and not so strong in realization. Get a bigger cake or if the cake size remains the same, maybe distribute it a bit differently. Can I just ask if you were being intentionally provocative? And secondly, if you've talked with the professor since? No, I haven't. I have just made a little pause and said, I already have touched a soft spot and I'm open to continue the conversation because it was really cut short. And I think there are a lot of assumptions and misunderstandings also at play. Look, the other question, intentionally provocative. Look, yes, I just want to raise the topic that what is well known as the commercialization value of death in Australia, which sits between technology level four, five, six, and seven, and eight, 
that this is an area which needs attention. I think we have like around 40 universities, and with those 40 universities, we have 40 very influential chancellors and 40 influential vice chancellors, and a big industry who propagates for their contribution. And uh, we do not have advocates for what comes after in what I said is a commercialization value of that. And um, if a debate can be sparked of that and some provocation is necessary for that, so be it. Mm. Understood. Well, we're having this conversation now and other people are having conversations now as a result of the comments. So I could say at least that has been a good result. I would agree. Another point I'd like to cover off on is uh, do we need to do better overall in discussing the place of public research in creating economic benefit. You've mentioned above some of that, but what do you make of the debate in this country over the last few years? Because we've certainly had the discussion with you know mixed outcomes. I think I refer to what you mentioned earlier, the Economic Complexity Index, where we rank on number 91 in the world. Our ranking, our universities are doing so much better. So why does it only translate into 91 in making complex things? Do we stop short somewhere? The other comment I, I would make is the allocation of final resources properly allocated. I, I question that, I challenge that. And in regard uh, to uh, public research, let's be clear that along the technology renaissance level, there will be more failures and successes. And we entertain a research and development ecosystem as a country should do. And we entertain that and we need to accept that at every stage in that there will be successes. The outcome of research will be usually rather a failure from which we learn and then we continue. Further down the value chain comes probably come vehicles like venture capital. A venture capital investment is usually that you place bets on 10 early stage investables and nine fail, but one is so successful that it allows for the others to be invested. So it's a try and error and there's more error than try. So that is an ecosystem of research development and uh, innovation ecosystem, which we probably need to adjust in some areas. As I said earlier, we might, I would argue, and I'm, I'm open to any challenge on that one, and I'm very, very happy to accept every different opinion on that one, but it's my opinion that it is a bit front-loaded. Well, you're allowed your opinion, and I'm here to hear it. How do we correct the investment slash scale problem if it can be done at all? That's the Advancement Affection Growth Center. What we have done, we had um, around $57 million available and we co-invested in up to now 141 projects. That doesn't sound very much. However, a couple of hundred thousand dollars here and there, plus the participating companies putting the other half in cash in there. And by the way, every of these projects had a research partner to help resolving an industry problem. So really, we, we created the ecosystem to have a research pool and to help industry to resolve the problem. That is very successful because that alone will give an additional impact to the GDP by $1.6 billion additional revenue, and it will also create over 4,000 new jobs. And these are higher paying, more resilient jobs of higher complexity and higher competitiveness. So I think that is a good model, uh, which I've seen in other countries, in countries which have an industry policy, which entertain a system like that. Now, we have the um, National Reconstruction Fund coming towards us, which is great. There are $15 billion to be spent over 15 years. But the challenge will be to use that money and get it out of the door and have industry being able to pick it up. If you have only a few big companies and not much in the middle, we need to prepare for that. We need to help companies to scale that they can absorb this big task of national reconstruction. That's 
pretty much all we have time for. However, if there's a closing comment or a thing you'd like to plug, the floor is all yours. I would strongly advocate to see manufacturing not as a sector, but as a capability, as a capability of a country. No matter what crisis comes our way, we have demonstrated that during COVID, we can build actually ventilators. We have to. Um, if we are capable and we are able to make complex things, the future is ours. It's a good message to close on. Jens Gunnerman, thank you very much for joining us here on AU Manufacturing Conversations.